What's up, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Team Chat Podcast. I am one of your hosts, Jarrett Wilson, joined to what should be my right, but through the power of the internet, Rachel Mogan. A buongiorno. <laughs> buongiorno to you as well. How are you this fine day? Uh, I'm doing excellent. I think that we'll be able to do it, oh, maybe next week if the timing works out right. Uh, next time we do the intro, I might be able to temporarily bring two kittens onto the show. <gasps> Oh. I'm kitten sitting for a friend oh, this weekend right. for like quite a few days, and I hope that when the next time we record, I'll have the kittens. <laughs> that's awesome. That's so fun. Two little kittens to talk to play with, and everything. They're that's little so baby fun. kittens. Aww. Fender could like eat both of them well, in one job. Well, he wouldn't though, because he's nice. He loves kittens. You know, he's he's he loves a good kitten snuggle, kitten playmate. But, well, you know. he can come over and help you then. Okay. Well. While he's doing that, and you're watching those kitty cats, what we can do, though, is talk about some video games here on Team Chat Podcast, a weekly video game show where, like I said, we talk to you about games, the ones we love, the ones we hate, and everything in between. New episodes come out on Tuesday mornings, and you can listen to those on podcast services around the World Wide Web, and you can also watch a video version of each episode over on our YouTube channel. Links for all that are in the description below. You can find us on social media, such as Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. You can join our Discord server, where we have a lot of great gaming discussions and discussions about a lot of other things, too. Movies, soundtracks music all that good stuff over on our discord links again are in the description below and finally if you're really loving what we're creating for you each and every week you can head over to patreon.com slash team chat podcast help make the show bigger and better by supporting us with as little as a dollar a month and in return we will give you cool perks like getting the episodes early before their general tuesday release and access to other fun goodies as they come and once we pick it back up again team chit chat a secondary show. I realized actually the other day, I want to take a quick pause. We now have four shows under the team chat umbrella. I don't know if you, yeah. What are the other two? So we got team chat podcast, the show you're listening to and loving right now. Then we have team chit chat. I know. <laughs> I just mean the, the general <laughs> public. You're talking about. <laughs> but then we have, uh, then we have team chit chat, our Patreon uh, show there that we do. Then we have team chat plays where it's all of our streaming stuff. And then we have, Team chat reacts, which we haven't done a whole lot of stuff there. Uh, but, uh, but we do, I was, and I was sitting that the other day cause I was making the artwork for the team chat play stuff for the Mario Kart night that we just had, which also was a ton of fun. Thank you for everybody who joined us yeah. on that. Uh, that was super fun getting to play some Mario Kart with you all. But yeah, so I was making that artwork and I was like, holy shit, we have four different shows now, like kind of just happened, but, uh, but, I don't- think of them that way though like the team chat plays and the team chat reacts i just think of those as being like naturally living under the umbrella of, and i mean they the they are they are they do live under the, the umbrella but it's still just like four separate entities like we mar- i like try to market them or push them as as four separate things and so i was like oh man that kind of just happened but it was cool uh but anyway so you get access to all those things team chit chat we were doing but then just to kind of help alleviate some take some responsibility off our plates during all of this stuff. We put that on pause uh, just because we just we both needed a little bit of extra time uh, during all this stuff going on. But we will be bringing that back once this is over. Once this is over, and Patreon, uh, our patrons get a or patrons at the five dollar tier get that two weeks early before its general Tuesday release. So we're very excited about that stuff too. But if you don't want to uh, support us monetarily. That's totally fine. We can still use your help to make us the show bigger and better by writing reviews for us, telling your friends, subscribing on social media, or liking us on social media, subscribing on podcast services, subscribing on our YouTube channel. All that stuff helps make us bigger and better. And we are greatly appreciative and love all of our listeners, patrons, patrons alike. Thank you. Heart hand. That's a terrible one. There it is. There it is. Heart emojis. 
But before we get into the main topic of the day, let's get a little bit of news and what's coming out soon in our moment with Mogan. Okay, since we were streaming last week, we're going to do a quick bit of catch up. Um, so out now are all of the following. Hero Cantare with Webtoon. Don't know if that's the correct pronunciation uh, for iOS and Android. Minecraft Dungeons for PlayStation 4, Xbox One, Switch, and PC. Mortal Kombat 11 Aftermath, which I believe is like the collected version of like all the expansions or whatever. Yeah, or um, like a new expansion I've, I've seen. Oh, I mean, is it a new one? I think it added in some more extra characters. Like I know like Robocop is now a fighter. Interesting. Yeah, they've had, <laughs> they actually added some really cool people uh, to the roster. They have Robocop, uh, the Terminator, and like Joker even from like Batman Joker, not uh, Persona 5 Joker. You know, I can't talk, though, because all of those characters are better than how Tekken 7 got Negan from The Walking Dead. Negan would have been cool, I feel like, in in Mortal Kombat, I feel like Negan would have been cool. I don't understand it in Tekken. Yeah, it was a bad choice, and they they should feel bad. (laughs) But anyways, (laughs) Mortal Kombat 11 Aftermath is out now for PlayStation 4, Xbox One, Switch, Stadia, and PC. Uh, The Elder Scrolls Online Greymore is out now for PC and Mac. Mac got one this this past week. Uh, Warface Breakout is out for PlayStation 4 and Xbox One. Wildfire is out for PC. Fantasy Star Online 2 is out for PC. Reiki, or Reiki, uh, spelled R-E-K-Y, is out for PC. Dungeon Defenders Awakened for PC. Fly Punch Boom for Switch and PC. Shantae and the Seven Sirens. I love the Shantae games. Uh, That's for PlayStation 4, Xbox One, Switch, and PC. Oh, a new one? Yes. Oh. I believe it's the new one. Not a remaster? I didn't know there was a new Shantae coming out. Uh, Pretty sure. Let me do a quick, quick check. Google? Huh. No, I think it might actually be a port. Oh, okay. Yes. This is a port of a previous game that was for iOS and Mac. Whatever. The point is, there's a new (laughs) Shantae game available for all of these other platforms now. Weird. Uh, Anyways, Those Who Remain is out for Xbox One and PC. Bioshock the Collection made its way to the Nintendo Switch, so did Borderlands Legendary Collection, that's also for Switch now, and XCOM 2. All of those got ports to Switch. And this isn't necessarily a port so much as so much as it is a glorious remake of Xenoblade Chronicles Definitive Edition. Nice. Uh, released this week that we're recording um, for the Nintendo Switch. Um, I know that Bro Mogan was really excited about this one. Tons of people are super excited about the Xenoblade games in general so this is like a high def remake remaster of xenoblade chronicles the first game for the super unpopular wii u so thank <laughs> god it made its way somewhere else okay and then as of this episode's air date on june 2nd sorry we have a lot to catch up on uh liberated is out for the nintendo switch little town hero is out for playstation 4 valorant is out for pc uh and on june 3rd we have awesome p2 that is p like the food for playstation 4 xbox one <laughs> Thank and you for the switch clarification. <laughs> yeah uh june 4th we have pro cycling manager 2020 wow what a fun game for, for playstation 4 xbox one and pc that game sounds terrible is it like like, like tour de france biking no, because out now also is Tour de France 2020. <laughs> <laughs> or is it like is it like uh, FIFA and the what's the other the other soccer 
PES, Pro Evolution Soccer. Yeah, it's like they, those both like come out around the same time. I can only assume so. So huge markets for both for, of those games. I guess for PlayStation <laughs> Four and Xbox One. Uh, and then a little bit later this week, we have Clubhouse Games' 51 Worldwide Classics for the Nintendo Switch, Endurance for iOS and Android, and The Outer Worlds coming to, uh, coming to the Nintendo Switch on June 5th as well. And then just a little bit later down the lines, we have Dark Eye Book of Heroes for PC, Elder Scrolls Online Greymore for PlayStation 4 and Xbox One, uh, and some other stuff. Cool. Which you don't need to know about. Uh, but the one other, th- the only other like news thing I wanted to jump on, talk about real quick just before we get into our main topic, because I know we're both very excited about talking about our main topic. But yesterday, the PlayStation hosted a state of play that was all about The Last of Us Part Two, And I'm uh, here to say, I didn't watch a second of it because I'm on blackout. <laughs> I'm not I'm not learning anything else. It's like, and especially too, with the big leak where all the like in-game spoilers came out and all this stuff. I'm staying away. I'm staying away from everything Last of Us right now. Uh, Last of Us Part Two, that is, I should say, because like I just too nervous. So uh, that's out there. World, you can go. You can go watch it. They had like an extent, like 18 minutes, 18, 24 minutes, something like that of gameplay. Uh, show, showed off a ton of stuff from it. I know that's 30 minutes of the game. Like, do you? That's want, too much of the game. You know what, what I mean? Were they thinking. <laughs> I mean, people were incredibly impressed from reactions I've seen to it, but I haven't actually gone to see anything about it. But just wanted to let everyone know. And because I couldn't not talk about it or at least mention it, it's out there. You can go watch it and enjoy it for yourself. I'll be waiting until The Last of Us Part 2. But also by the time this has come out, this episode's out, I've started my replay stream of The Last of Us, which I'm very yeah. excited about. Because like, as, as anybody uh, – I'm actually starting it after we finish recording. But, um, yeah. but uh, as anybody who's listened to the show for any amount of time knows – that's my favorite game of all time. It is actually a very big inspiration for wanting to get into doing podcasting and talking about video games and getting into the video game world in general more was after I played that. I was like, these are incredible. So I'm uh, restarting it. These this things is, called video games. There's incredible. something here. <laughs> There's something here. There's something about them that's just special. But uh, but anyway, so it's a, it's very exciting for me because I haven't played the game since I played it the very first time. And... Because it's been one of those games is like it's so it was such an impactful game and it's everything. It's like it's one that I didn't want to oversaturate myself with, but then also I didn't want to wait. I wanted to wait and play it until it felt right to play it again. And this is kind of now that moment. And so I'm very excited to jump back into that game, get to re-experience it all again, because I'm sure there's so much I've just like little things and details that I've forgotten. And I just am really ready to re-experience Joel and Ellie's story before we get to see its continuation at the end on June 19th. So uh, people can stick around and watch that. Or not stick around, but just like it's out there. I'll be streaming. I'll be putting it out when I when I continue. Yeah. So uh, so yeah. Go uh, go check that out, everybody. We'll be doing hosting it over on our Twitch Twitch TV slash Team Chat Podcast. But now it's time. Oh wait, what? Quick clarification. Okay. Uh, Shantae and the Seven Sirens is a port of a game that came out in 2019, but it only came out for like I I think like I said iOS and something. Uh, So the point is, it is a much beloved Shantae game that is finally available for all of the other consoles. It's the fifth installment in the Shantae series. Very nice. But now it's time to move on to our main topic, which is one that we are both very excited about because we're going to talk about Control. Came out last year, August 27th, 2019. But uh, Mogan and I just finally got around to playing it. And I'm, I'm just going to go ahead and say it, Mogan. Like this, I know this is a review. We're supposed to talk about it. We're maybe supposed to save our, our like overall impressions for the very end once we're wrapping up. But this game was fantastic. 
so I'm, I'm really just... glad to hear you say that because you <laughs> bought it after I recommended it to you. <laughs> yeah. And I was like, man, how much would it suck if it turns out to be? <laughs> I'm just like, this is fucking terrible. What are you doing? <laughs> yeah. So I, I, I knew that you would like it, though, um, just based on what I had played when we did our first impressions episode of it. I was like, this is right up both of our alley. Mm-hmm. It is, so Control is a third-person perspective shooter game. It's a single-player shooter game. It's arguably the best single-person, single-player, third-person shooter that I have played in a very long time. Yeah, um, I'd agree with that. Years, probably. Uh, because I don't play many uh, single-player shooter games. Um, one of the only ones I can think of off the top of my head is Uncharted, and you know my feelings about Uncharted. I do. I do indeed. <laughs> the good news is Uncharted set the bar really low for Control to Nowhere come to go in and do up. incredible. <laughs> so I, I agree. We both finished it, I think, a day apart from each other. Mm-hmm. You actually finished it before me. I finished it. I, like, finished I like, it. woke up Monday morning um, uh, and and finished it. It was it plays was great. games in the morning. Anyways, so I wake, you know, I both. woke up. I was awake. Sam was still asleep, and I was just like, you know what? I'm just going to finish this up real quick. And I, I only played like I actually was like at the end level or something, or like halfway through the end level, and, and all that. So it was like it was easy to finish up. So I liked it. Then I was like, oh, yeah. Boom. Done. So it's still very fresh in both of our minds, and yes. we were actually like step at step uh, in beating it. And God, yeah, what a great game! What a great uh, game. I feel like we should probably say now that there's no way that we can't have spoilers about this game. We'll try to keep it towards the end. We'll, uh, you yeah. know, let's try to gr- group all that stuff together. We can talk about like mechanics, story, you know, s- overall story beats, or not story beats, but like the overall story. We can talk about that. Uh, I was going to read like the description from control from the control game website. So just like people get the overall story if they're not familiar with it. But uh, like I said, control was released on August 27th, 2019. It was developed by remedy games and published by five Oh five games. People may know remedy from another popular series of games, Alan wake. Uh, So the story of control. And like I said, this is taken from their website, discover a world unknown. After a secretive agency in New York is invaded by an otherworldly threat, you become the new director struggling to regain control. Uh, see what they did there. From developer Remedy Entertainment, this supernatural third-person action adventure will challenge you to master the combination of supernatural abilities, modifiable loadouts, and reactive environments while fighting through a deep and unpredictable world. Control is Jesse Faden's story and her personal search for answers, answers as she grows into the role of the director. The con- world of Control has its own story, as do the allies Jesse meets along the way. Jesse works with other bureau agents and discovers a strange and discovers strange experiments and secrets. So that's a brief summary of what of what you're playing yeah. here. So, you know, back in our first impressions, you gave a pretty detailed explanation of like what the first mission is, like what you first see. When, because, I mean, the game starts and you're right at the Federal Bureau of Control. You're walking in the door, you know. And what a great scene is that it's raining and dark outside and you're walking into this um, – brutalist style architecture building so it's got that just sheer face very slim stone window yeah it's everything's concrete it's basically just a huge rectangle dropped in the middle of new york city right Mm -hmm. is that where she is yep uh and the funny thing about it is that nobody else in the world seems to be able to really see the federal bureau of control and you're like that's weird also, I've been here before and I didn't it's see secretive. it. It wasn't here until I was looking for it, which is really, really fascinating Um, But so you go in and you and – so like I said, you played as, by – you're playing as Jesse Fadum, played by Courtney Hope. And she, you 
are instantly just in this building and it's empty. Like this is the part where, you know, this is mild spoiler. We're like setting the stage for what's going on, but you're basically, you go into this, into this, uh, the federal bureau of control. And, but like you mentioned it, the brutalist architecture and style of this building, that is one of the thematic, the, the design elements of this game that I absolutely loved was this mix yeah. of that like mid century, like sixties, like madman esque style, not only architecture, but then de- like, Everything in the building looked old, older style. Yeah. Like, you know, uh, you would find these multimedia recordings throughout the building that were played on like tape reels and everything. You'd find like old radios like, and everything just looked older, like take like it was pulled from the 60s. But then yeah. it's not. And it's very modern. Like Jesse's clothing and outfit is very modern. Everyone, you know, but but then – you know, there's obviously this like advanced technology, but the mix of the two created such an interesting aesthetic. I just loved it. I also think that the game's mix of, you know, kind of 50s, 60s style bureaucracy mm-hmm. does a really good job of highlighting how once a system, especially a bureaucratic or like federal or government system, gets up and running, it's very hard to make anything change. Yeah. Uh, once those kinds of systems are in place, they're basically going to stay that way until something momentous happens to shift things in a different direction. And I feel like the Federal Bureau of Control and the entire concept of the game Control kind of lends itself really well to the weird out-of-place but also in-place feeling of being in this space that appears to be kind of frozen in its mm-hmm. in in the century that it or, or in the decade that it was first incepted. Right. So I really loved that setting as well. Um, and you don't hear many people say, boy, I sure do love brutalist architecture, but control but this game, did it very works. well. It works so well. And like, especially one of the things like throughout the game, your save points that you come across are called control points. And usually some of those, if they're, so basically what you discover is not long after you are in this, are in the Federal Bureau of Control, you go, it's empty. You run into this janitor, Ati. You later, later learn his name is Ati. And he like is cryptically being like, oh, you're here for the interview? That's great. I mean, uh, he has a very strong Finnish accent, so I'm not going to try to replicate that. But he's just like, you're, oh, you're, 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 here for the, you're here for the interview? Great. Cool. I'm sure you'll do great. And then you go into the director's office, and he's just dead on the floor. But like, other than the janitor and him and his dead body, the only people you've seen. And you see the, the director's gun laying next to him. And you pick it up. And then this whole like you're like transported to this other plane where you hear these voices that from the subtitles and everything you later learn is called the board. It's just like this this presence. And what you've picked up, the gun, is called an object of power. And basically picking it up and it allowing you to hold it and use it basically says like you're the director now. You know, like you're what in I control. What I think they explain is that you are now bound to that yes, particular. Yes, thank object you. That's the word. That's the word I was looking for. Um, and so Jesse now finds herself like, oh, okay. So what's going on? And you later figure out that there's this invasion happening in the Federal Bureau of Control of something that Jesse calls the Hiss, which is basically a supernatural force that is coming in and taking over the minds and the bodies of all the people inside the Federal Bureau of Control. Not everybody. There are people who have been able to get away, which you discover how that all works later in the story. But so you basically have to cleanse this this Federal Bureau of Control. And so you find these control points. And this is one of the things where I love, again, the brutalist architecture and the, and the design aesthetic that they chose for this is that when some of these would be just normal save points, some of them you would have to like fight hiss and then cleanse the point so that you could then save. And then when you would do that, 
the something with the the Hiss invasion and how it like defies physics has totally like shifted and reshaped the inside of this building and like just like weird ways like blocking off hallways like huge just it's bizarre looking and once you cleanse these output these control points you know it would go wide the camera would go wide and you'd slowly see the building like readjusting and putting itself back in place amazingly cool and i mean that's a particular point in the game you know that happens repeatedly but those are some of the best points in the game that really highlight the color scheme of control that mm-hmm. i cannot get enough of control has a very bold white black and red color scheme that it keeps around for the entire game mm-hmm. uh, the hiss in particular is personified by the color red uh, and they do explain i think fairly early on that the hiss is it's not really a thing or a person or any one enemy it's a resonance so you hear it, and it sounds like a cacophony of different voices all layered over each other, speaking total gibberish. Like, you can you can identify the individual words, but none of it makes sense. Mm-hmm. And that's that's the hiss. It's just this resonance that corrupts people that, that hear it. It literally gets into their brains. Which and I guess... When, oh, sorry. Oh, no, go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say, I guess we should circle back then, because the reason why Jesse's there is at the federal bureau control is because she's looking for her brother. Her brother was, was taken by the bureau way back when, like several years ago, because some uh, supernatural event happened in their town of ordinary. And so Jesse's town is called ordinary, which I think it's like 17 years in the past. Like she's been looking for him for a long time. Yeah. It's been since their childhood. Yeah. She's probably in her thirties, maybe probably late twenties. Uh, and so she, but she finds this place through the guidance of another voice in her head that another like that's helping directing her it's not the hiss it's you know it or at least it doesn't affect her like the hiss uh but she is still under the control not the control but she is influenced by and has this this paranormal thing in her mind going on that's helping direct her and show her where to go and eventually what helps her lead her to the federal bureau of control um so residence that not residence. Resonance, she calls the, the resonance that lives in her head polarts. Yes. So that's that's the counter resonance to the hiss. And she will cut co- and she will often throughout the game like have conversations with it or like be like, oh, so that's why you brought me here. Oh, that's why you did so this. You actually so it doesn't really you know, we can kind of call Polaris a voice, but it never talks. Mm-hmm. Like you kind mm-hmm. of see on the screen a a, a kind of fractal image that indicates that polaris is talking to jesse but you never hear it so that's why you know it's really more of a resonance and less of a voice yeah uh let's see one of the other things that i really loved about this too i loved that you would find a lot of places too like again you like i mentioned you would find those multimedia players you would also find like projector videos and like the or like old tv movies that you would have to watch to get more backstory and stuff they were the collectibles and those were always they were live footage, like real footage. Which was just such a fantastic touch. Such the a great live touch. footage of these like old movie reels that you find that were clearly self-recorded. Like it's usually just a handful of people mm-hmm. making these at home at home recordings within the bureau. They are so you can absolutely believe that an organization would have produced things like this. Mm-hmm. Like they feel so in place even though they're some of the only things in the game that aren't animated and i think that that just really speaks to a the really good animation quality in control because it is a very beautiful game Mm -hmm. you know the graphic quality is excellent but also b that the tone is so consistent throughout both the game 
and these live action recordings that it just it fits right in smooth as oh yeah Oh man, it was great. And so I loved all that stuff in there because it was not only like in these recordings, but like you would receive through this resonance in your head, through Polaris, you would receive these, not visions. Oh no, no, no. It's through, there's so much things, but you would like even get visions of the old director and he would speak to you. And those oh, were also yes. in, in like a live, it was very like silhouetted and dark. So it wasn't as clear as like what was on those videos, but still like, I loved how much they incorporated that. Another design thing or art choice that they made that I absolutely loved is whenever you would go into a new area, big, bold letters, big, bold, white letters would fill the screen telling you where you were. It was such a nice touch. And it always had like this deep impact, like boom, whenever the text would show up, it was so cool. I I even took a, I got like, I tried every time it would come to a new one, I tried to grab a screenshot and I finally got one and it just, it looks so Awesome. I loved it so much, which also too plus for this game. And I love that games are still doing this. It's one of my favorite like side features of games, a photo mode, which I've played around in so much. I'll have to share on our discords, uh, some of my, my captures from there. Cause I tried to get, I tried to get a little artsy, try a little different things, change the colors a bit, you know, the zoom the focus actually used the photo mode. Like oh. I clicked on it once and I was like, man, what's stuff to do. I'm charged. <laughs> be derving around with it <laughs> i but i i just love it so, so it that stuff was all great um but also like we talked about like the the graphic quality of this game is incredible in fact on pc it was one of the first games to incorporate the new ray tracing which like helps lighting and everything be a lot better obviously on our consoles we weren't able to see that benefit but if you look at screenshots from like captured from a pc it's, it's great it's beautiful uh but also the animation like facial animations when you were talking with people were so good because they were able to disc- to sh- show subtleties of emotion in the facial expressions like it's not like when you would be having a conversation with one of the npcs it's not like in games like old, some older games and everything where you're talking to them and they're just a blank slate and just like their mouth is moving even when they're being like oh god why 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 is this happening and just a blank slate like you see the emotion on their faces you see when someone is talking to J- Jesse you see her like clenching her jaw and being like uh you know and like thinking processing what they're taking in and that just added such a layer of depth to it that was great to see um i thought i've never i don't think i've ever personally played a game that had better facial animation in just the micro expression Mm-hmm. And, you know, for Jessie, you can assume that she's the title character. Of course, she would be really well animated. But I love that they didn't hold anything back for the other main P- uh, main NPCs that you actually have real conversations with. And that extends to even like, let's say you already talked to somebody and then you go do something else and then you come back and talk to them again. But they don't have anything new to say exactly, but they're still that well animated. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not like you lose any quality. And it's not like they're cutscenes. Well, they kind of are cutscenes because they're pre conversations. But you get the idea. Right. It's an interactive quality to the game that just makes it feel so much more alive. Oh, yeah. It absolutely makes it feel more alive. Uh, but, and even, what was the one? Oh, the only one that, like, and we talked about this in the first impressions, I think, or after I started playing it, after you talked about it. The only one that was kind of like off to me was the Emily Pope character. Her mouth always kind of seemed like way too wide and like. Like, but you know who else but, has a mouth like that in real life? That woman from the like the Food Network, Giada Dehu. Oh. <laughs> She's got that mouth in yeah, real that's true. life. That's true. So I was like, man, that's basically 
that's just Chiara De Laurentiis is Emily Pope. They like spliced her into that game. So after I started thinking of like, actually, there all are people out there with that wide of mouths. Just I for was some, a lot more sympathetic towards. Her. For some reason, it just like it just hit me different than everybody else's, and I was like, why? Why? I, I just noticed it more, I guess. But other than that, like everything was just so top tier about it. The voice acting was incredible on all parts, like all fronts. Everything was great. Uh, it was just, it's just an incredible, like you can tell the detail and the thought that went into literally everything of this. Um, let's see who, Oh, let's just ask this. Then you meet a lot of different NPCs and people, uh, bureau agents who are like in charge of other different departments and you interact with them and trying to figure out how to handle this, his problem. Who was your favorite? Oh, I could not. So I love, um, what's his name? I thought that he was. What really was it? Great. One more time. You cut out a little bit when you said his name. Oh, I love Arish or Arish, mm-hmm. uh, however you pronounce his name. Um, I think she calls him. Yeah, Arish. I think. Yeah, the like security guy. Yeah, yeah. I loved him, but my favorite was of course Fati. Yeah. He was my absolute favorite NPC the entire time, and I liked all of them. There wasn't a single NPC that I was like Psh, this person, but Ati was just. It may have partially been his incredible Finnish accent, but it was also in that you clearly get the sense that Ati is more than just a jam. Mm-hmm. Like, there's something about him, you're not sure what, but he's clearly got some other stuff going on in the background that he's kind of never got, like- really he's kind of got like the keys to the kingdom you can tell yeah yeah he you never really find out what what he's holding like what's he got in his hand but you you know that something is up with him and that yeah. he's very special he, know, he knows a lot of what's going on i think yeah i think uh, yeah I, I agree i think overall ati is probably my favorite for the same reasons i think the other one that i liked uh i did like arisha a lot too but i think the other guy the other one that i liked was langston you meet kind of like you kind of meet I him late game Langston, but he was great because he was just like again i won't give spoilers about what he's doing but like obviously all this chaos is going on and he's kind of like the guy who oversees all these objects of power because like the gun is is one uh, is an object of power but like there are several and you interact with them on you know and like have to cleanse them or find them and do these other things and he's kind of the person who's like kind of over all that but it's so funny that he his department controls these objects that are so powerful and so like could in and an instant very dangerous. Yes. And in an instant could like cause mass chaos and destruction. And his attitude is just like, eh, like this is my job. It's a nine to five. Like I just, I, it's like, you know, I, I mean, it's you fine. even kind of get, you even kind of get the sense from him at least that his department is kind of like, not even really that important. <laughs> like from the perspective of the federal bureau, bureau of control, you yeah. get the feeling that research, the research department, they seem to get all the money and all the attention. And then there's the poor department of what is his department? Actually Panopticon. Called? Was it the Panopticon? Yeah, Panopticon uh, which is basically the containment area that he's in charge of for these objects of power. And it's like, he's probably got like the most important job yeah. here. And in the end, you don't get that sense at all. Like he kind of even just looks like a schlubby middle-aged, you know, middle manager. Mm-hmm. You don't get the sense from him at all that he's special. And he even tells you in his own backstory that he got to be the head, the director of this department or the head of the department or whatever just kind of by accident Mm -hmm. like there was a huge object of power accident within the bureau a bunch of people died and he just kind of happened to be like there next in line (laughs) okay beggars can't be choosers you're the new head of the department you got this buddy whether you like it or not that's just another touch of like it's so believable 
that kind of stuff happens in bureaucracy every day. Mm-hmm. And you're like, should that person be in charge? Probably not. Yeah. Are they? Yeah. There were no other <laughs> options. Uh, but like, but it was so cool too. just like, all, like I really loved him, but like just all this feeling and this atmosphere that the game created, it honestly made me feel like I was watching episodes of fringe. And I think we might've talked about that before in the first impressions, but like, yeah, I just felt, I was like, this is fringe. For sci-fi parallels that you can draw between control and other forms of media, I think it aligns really closely to Fringe, X-Files, mm-hmm. a little bit to Twin Peaks, but it's not quite that out there. Um, but yeah, Fringe and X-Files, I think it aligns with really, really well. Uh, before I forget, do you want to hear one of my personal conspiracy theories about the NPCs? Yes. One in particular? Uh, I think that Ati is the physical personified version of the oldest house, which is the building. Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. Because the building itself is like an object of power. The, the building itself is a lie. Yeah. It's not even really an object of power. It's just this living place that kind of does its own thing. And Ati seems to know so very much. And later on, you can find, you find out that he's able to get through places in the oldest house that, most people shouldn't be able to get through. Mm-hmm. And then way later, later you find out some other like interesting questy stuff on the side. And you're like, what's going on here? Ati? I think that he's the physical personification of the oldest. Oh, that's a, that's a good theory. I agree with that. I totally no agree theory. with that. Uh, so we've kind of talked about a lot of the design stuff that we liked and all that, but so let's talk about the actual gameplay itself, you know, it, which is, you're moving through the bureau, you're going, you're taking, you're doing these missions, you're fighting the hiss. And that's where the big parts of this are. There are collectibles you can find like these like old case files, multimedia, those recordings that I, we talked about before. There's actually a lot to find. Like there are a ton of collectibles. And it, this was one of the first games though, because I was so bought into this, like to the setting and this feeling, I was reading so many of those things. And I normally honestly don't. I read every single one. Every memo, every correspondence that you could find, mm-hmm. I read the descriptions for all of them. It was, and honestly, it was a highlight of the game for me. Mm-hmm. I loved reading all of the, you know, just bluff media, just the supporting documentation. Absolutely stellar. Yep, it was great. But so you go up and you're fighting the the, you know, you go and you fight the hiss, which is the main parts of the game is when you, is the combat and everything. And man, it was stellar like it was so fluid it was so smooth it like i know i ran into a couple performance issues sometimes like it would kind of hiccup especially when there would be a lot like the destructible environments would kind of get crazy with all the stuff flying around and sometimes like i mean i'm running a base model ps4 that i got right after it came out so i mean it's old it's late in the in the console generation and control pulled some stuff so i know i'm not uh, I'm not faulting control for that or anything. I know it was with my, my thing that my console, but still it was like, it was so fluid. It was so smooth. And I honestly think, so the thing is, as you're going around, like it said in the description of the story, you find through the, your searching and going, you can find these mods, both for your person, like for your abilities. And then also for these, the, the service weapon that you can use, that you can use. And there, cause you can find and unlock different versions of it. Like you, it's normally just like a single fire, you know, semi-automatic pistol basically, but then you can get a shotgun version. You can make it like charge it up to be like, it was called the Pierce setting. That would be like shoot really powerful single bullets. Um, they were, it was, it also had the longest range. So Pierce yeah. was really kind of like a sniper rifle more or less. Mm-hmm. And the cool thing was I liked that there was, you know, other things that you would pick up after you would de- defeat enemies, they would drop like little health, 
things that you could pick up, but there was, you never had to get ammunition, which I just kind of felt was like, you know, that's fine. There's a lot of stuff going on. If you don't have to worry about that, your gun would have to recharge if you did empty it. It's not like you had infinite ammo. If you emptied it, it would have to recharge and you could have mods that would increase the speed of which it would do that. But you would also then later as the game progressed, you would unlock these abilities such as like, I think the first one you get is launch, right? Where you can like pull objects towards you and then blast them. Is it launch or is it dodge? Dodge. You you're get, correct. You're right. I, but dodge is ba- dodge is basically just dodge you is hit dodge. Circle real quick and you just zip zip to the side. Yeah. So you get dodge first, but the real real first thing that you get that is actually like a cool power that people would want mm-hmm. is launch. Which basically is yeah, you like pull an object towards you and then you can launch the object. And this is where the reactive destructible environments of control were at their best. Well. That and then the next ability, which is where you could like form a shield of debris around you to absorb fire. Like, you want to hear something interesting? Yes. I didn't get that ability until the very end. <gasps> I missed it. What? So actually, the what you can what? do in control is not everything is required. I mean, there mm-hmm. are side missions that are like, yeah, you should definitely go do that. Oh yeah, but I know. I don't have all them. I don't I'll have all the abilities. Do it eventually. I didn't get shield until way later oh. down the line, and I was like, hmm, this been really helpful. You're missing out. Okay, so maybe that's why then you were talking about like you were having such a hard time with dying so much because because <laughs> I was just like, okay, look, I know that we're probably like on the same tier of like skill level at games but like i'm not dying a whole lot <laughs> so, i died a lot because i was like man i keep getting shot i mean i definitely ran into my struggle areas where i had to really work hard but no <laughs> the shield was so cool because you would just like basically like bring up this circle of debris around you and there were even like a hiss enemy that you would encounter late game that also could do the same thing and shoot them at you and so like i actually got one of the captures i got was me battling one of those and we're both shooting our debris at each other at the same time it's cool. Nice. Uh, but Very so cool. it's, it was just like those reactive environments and like being able to just pull this debris, you could pick up, like you could pull a chunk of concrete out of the pillar from the wall. You know, you could pull, you could use a, a uh, tiles, benches, yeah, chairs, uh, fire extinguishers, you know, yeah. it, uh, and then, which then you could shoot and ex- make explode and do damage. It's just I like the fire extinguishers. I was oh, like, yeah. thank God for federal safety regulations. <laughs> <laughs> But so it was just like all this stuff and it just was so cool and so easy and so fluid to use. I actually was doing it and playing the game and I had the thought, these abilities are very similar to like force abilities that you that you use in Jedi Fallen Order, but they feel better than they did in Jedi Fallen Order. Because Jedi Fallen Order, granted different kind of game, it's more of like a Dark Souls style combat system and how you're playing it. So it's not, so you are supposed to be more methodical and more just like, I'm going to pull this object or this trooper and then, you know, or deflect this blaster bolt, pull in this thing and deflect it this way. There was a lot of that going on, but control seemed to have it more uh, refined what it would grab. Like you just had to hit the launch button, the, the button to activate launch, and it would just pull something, you know. You can still, like, it does said, have a highlighting you, thing. Yeah, you yeah. could finagle it to highlight a particular object, which was actually very subtle. So mm-hmm. I liked that it wasn't, like, bright yellow or orange. It was right. actually just kind of, like, a very thin white outline yeah. around whatever object you had highlighted for So you did have some control over it, but if you didn't want to, you didn't have to. Yeah. You could just pull whatever was on hand, what? and it just flowed really well all the time and that's what and that's what i mean like it felt like different 
how they were used is different. Like I'm not saying like, oh, hands down controls versions of this was better than Jedi Fallen Order, but still like in how they were used, but still like the ease of use in control was better than Jedi Fallen Order, I would def- I would say. And so it was just so cool when you'd be having these huge fights because some Hiss would have shields around that you'd have to bust. And the easiest way to do that was to like throw something at him or like use your shield burst to like throw at him. And so it was just all these different things that you could do. It just made, and later in the game, you were able to like fly and, and you know, and, like oh, float man. around. And the levitate ability. Oh, how great was that? So was good. Like, finally. I yeah. knew it was coming because I had seen like a screenshot a long time ago. Yeah, like gameplay for the Jedi. Yeah. It, it's just like, oh, yes. Because you have to fight some Hiss that are flying around everywhere too and so it's just like it was like you got these hints of what was coming from the hiss and then you would get those abilities yourself and then you're just like all right let, let's go you know and, nice. just, and so it's just it well, the, the combat of it all was was great um the one i honestly think that this was my my one knock against the game the only thing about it i did not like and i think we talked about this before the map was frustrating there's a very small amount of things that I found fault with with Control. Uh, one was definitely the map. The other two were more technical. Uh, so I don't know about you, but especially in fights where there were a lot of hiss mm-hmm. and a lot was happening all around you, I had a few moments of extreme stutter, like terrible lag, really stuttery frames. Oh, um, yeah, yeah. Were- Really only in the huge fights, but it was so noticeable. I was like, I gotta kill people faster so that I can bring the frame rate back to normal. But don't you have like a, a base or like an earlier model of the PS? You're not running like yeah, a PS have, Pro, right? No, it's yeah. not PS. So that's what I'm. That's what I mean. That was I ran into that same issue too. But I think it's just the age of our console and not the like. I, I'm sure if you ran this on a PC or even like a PS4 Pro, like it would be it'd be stellar. But yeah, I ran into that a little bit too. But it was ne- it was never enough to be like this is frustrating. It was just noticeable. But um, definitely not enough to, to like ruin the experience for me. Uh, but but yeah, the map sucked. The map was let's difficult. Just get, let's yeah. just get that out in the open. The map was not even not helpful. It may have even been actively hurting mm-hmm. the ability to navigate myself through the game. Well, because it was like... Oh, go ahead. Sorry. Well, the Federal Bureau of Control itself, it's a giant bureaucratic building, so they have signs everywhere mm-hmm. in-game for go this way for the Department of Dead Letters, go this way for research. And then, of course, you have the central elevator, which is like the executive elevator that you can use to more easily navigate. And each of the control points is also a fast travel location. Right. So once you get a bunch of control points up, it's really easy to just fast travel back and forth. Because just relying on the map blows. Yeah. You can't it, it, zoom in. No. Yeah, you Which can't is zoom in. mind-boggling to me that you can't zoom in on the map. There are no separate levels. Yeah. So even though you might be in a section that has like five different levels, it's just one flat top-down view with different colors. Yeah, like shaded differently. Which, yeah, but they're all shades of gray and mm-hmm. white and black. And it's like, okay, this is... It's this the one place helpful. that their design aesthetic bit them in the ass a little bit. Oh, it was so bad. Yeah. I was like, this this is the worst part of the game is the map. <laughs> well, because I had I, I talked about this with you before. It's just that I had this one part where it was like I needed to it was one of the missions that I had to go to a different sector that I hadn't been to before. I could not find it. And I know I had to go to the sector elevator, but for whatever reason, I kept getting turned around where I was supposed to be. It took me forever to find the sector elevator. Then I re- realized, oh, duh, you just go to central executive and it's turn around from that control point and it's right there. But still, like I several times was like, where am I going? 
especially when you had to go to a new sector that you hadn't been to before. Very frequently, especially for new sectors, uh, just like you said, I would travel back to Central Executive. Even though it may have been really close by, mm-hmm. I wouldn't have been able to find my way to it unless I was starting from the Central Executive. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So that, but like, honestly, that was my only huge takeaway that I was like, I don't like this like, of, of the be, game. And so, so the map is bad. That's cut and dry. But in a way, I found the confusion and the sameness of the different departments of the Federal Bureau of Control to be very in line, like thematic. Because these kinds of giant sprawling buildings, especially one that's the oldest house, which changes itself all the time at whim, I thought it made a lot of sense that it would be super confusing to navigate because it ju- it just seems to fit like mm-hmm. it should be a confusing place. It's a crazy interdimensional space building. It's going to be a little hard to get through. Yeah, for sure. Uh, so, but I mean, it was a little annoyance and it was the one, but it was like the one thing that was like, this is frustrating. And so it just kind of yeah. stood out to me. Uh, but let's see. Okay. So we've got anything else about like the gameplay itself that like stood out to you or you, or you wanted to touch this on real is quick. A, this is a general complaint that I have and is in no way, shape or form a dig at control specific. Mm-hmm. There were a few points in the game where I found myself not getting frustrated, but getting bored by the, by the, I don't even know really what you would call it. Mechanic. I don't know, by the mechanic of the waves of enemies trope, Mm. where it's like you go to one area, you kill a bunch of enemies, you go to the next area, you kill a bunch of enemies, maybe more enemies spawn and then you have to kill more enemies. Then you go to the next area and you have to kill more enemies. Mm. So the waves of enemies trope is something that I never find fun. Um, That was really driven home in Uncharted, and I don't particularly enjoy it in control, but the gameplay is so fun that it kind of cancels itself out. So I definitely didn't not enjoy the the, the battle mechanics of yeah. the game. I just found myself more than once being like, oh, I don't want to fight any more scrubs. Yeah. Just let me go to the next area. I did like I do feel like though that they were good about introducing new levels of hiss like more oh, difficult enemies yeah. they, they incorporated them well and didn't just like throw a ton at you you slowly started to or not slowly but you like there was a good mix of like you'd fight you'd fight find a new enemy type you get used to fighting them and then like at what seemed like the perfect amount of time that you'd been fighting them they throw somebody new in at you and so i felt like they kind of kept it fresh but i get what you're saying about yeah it was yeah, very much like true. here's a big room you're gonna fight a whole bunch of people in this room yeah, my problem definitely isn't with the variety of enemies. I thought the variety was great. I yep. think it was, like you said, a really good balance. It's just the, okay, here's 50 enemies. Good luck. Go for cool. it. Love yeah. it. Yeah. So, I mean, the big thing that broke up that monotony for me, though, is the the supplemental materials. Mm-hmm. Just the, the case files, the research papers, the interdepartmental, like, memos of people, like, emailing each other back yeah. and forth. They were so many. And they were always interspersed in new rooms that you hadn't been in before, that it was always a really nice mental break to, okay, I just killed 20 enemies. Now I get to explore this empty room, and there was going to be stuff in there that I personally found very rewarding. Yeah. So that was another thing that really kind of made that system of just kill a bunch of enemies much more bearable, perchance even fun. (laughs) Because again, the battle mechanics are very fun. Using launch and the guns, it was all super fun. Just sometimes it was a little too much. Yeah, I get that. I get that. Uh, 
Um, okay. So you want to talk about a little bit of like this is for spoiler. We're, I think we'll get into some spoilers here. Talk about some in game things uh, and specific story moments that we loved. Uh, so yeah. if anybody doesn't want those spoiled, turn away now. We'll have a, uh, I'll put a timestamp in for when we're doing our overall wrap up. So you can skip ahead to that if you want. Uh, but anyway, so spoilers starting now. You've been warned. We'll see you on the other side if you leave us right now. Okay, so what were some of your favorite moments? Like, I, I had a lot, especially in the end game. like, there were a lot of small moments in the, in the like, when you first had your fights, when you first would unlock a new ability and stuff like that, that were really great and super awesome. And then, like, being like, there were several moments where I was like, oh, that's awesome. Or something, like, vocally was like, that's awesome, when I would run across these things. But it feels like the big, like, oh, shit moments started happening in the end game. Um, absolutely yeah and the so, second half of the game is when things really pick up so like the one thing that i loved that was kind of overall was like the, the big the what the subject of those videos and those old like recordings that you find usually was dr casper darling who is like the head of research who's kind of like overall like trying to figure out what's going on with the hiss and like and all this paranormal stuff like that's just, he's head of research that's what he's in charge of so he is leaving all these recordings and notes of his findings and things along the way. But what I loved is especially as he starts dealing with the hiss stuff more and combating the hiss that you just see this very slow descent into madness. And yeah. like that was so cool to see. I mean, it was terrible for him, but like, it was so cool to see like this, this element carried through and done so well. There's even, did you find uh, in that one, the, the area that's like the, the plane that you cross to get from the bureau building into the astral plane, the ocean view hotel. Did you find at the very end, the like recording of him, like singing a song? Oh my God. His like incredible music video. Yeah. Yeah. Was, yeah. Like, this is the Dynamite. best thing I've ever yeah. seen. But that's like, Oh, he lost it. <laughs> well, so I'm not actually sure what to make of that particular music video in the context of the game. Mm. But one quick note, uh, Dr. Casper Darling is portrayed by Matthew Peretta. Just mm. want to throw that out there because he was one of the highlights of the game. Uh, Darling is oh, incredible. Yeah. And the parts with him are extremely impactful, always interesting. Every new Casper Darling video that I found, I was like, yes, it's another one. This is going to be. What good. am I going to find out? Yeah. What am I going to find out? So I'm not entirely certain that I would describe his descent as being into madness per se. I think it's more like becoming overwhelmed by something that is greater than yeah. Which I think is what he was kind of starting to realize is that the interdimensional forces at play here are so much more than I ever thought they were going to be as a scientist, as a researcher, that my brain is having trouble putting it all together. But, and this is pretty big spoiler territory, um, much more towards the end of the game, this is like last hour of the game or so, it is more or less implied, you know, actually it's really not, it's left open-ended. You are not sure if Dr. Darling is just gone or if he's dead. I think he's gone and you'll find out in the expansions. Yes. So, but at, but as the game actually ends, you have no idea what happened to Darling. Yeah. So for a significant portion of the game, you're actually looking for Casper Darling because you think that he has, you know, information that you need. The other employees of the Buryu, they don't seem to know where he is. Like they don't know, is he dead? Is he just in his department? Yeah. Um, and they don't even really seem that concerned about it. 
because they're already dealing with, you know, a, an interdepartmental pandemic of their own. So they're like, man, we're all in the weeds right now. We don't know where Darling is. Mm-hmm. So I feel like his progression towards his, I'll call it disappearance, towards his disappearance was just wonderfully portrayed. And at the end of it, I didn't really get the sense that he had gone insane. I more got the sense that he had found the way for him to get to whatever that next thing was. Mm, that's a good maybe way of saying a, it. Maybe it's a different plane of dimension, which I think is likely uh, based on the context we've provided. But I love that it was ambiguous. I like that they didn't make it express. Uh, it just leaves more mystery to an already mysterious and wonder-filled game. Yeah. But the, also the thing story-wise that I loved is I was kind of the whole time as I was seeing these videos about with Darling and all this other stuff, I was like, oh, he's the villain. You know, I was kind of like, I think we're going to get through, especially as I kind of started seeing him fall apart a little bit. I was like, oh, he's like, he's going to be the end game. We're going to like, I'm going to get there and we're going to have to do something with Darling. We're going to have to stop Darling from doing something crazy. But then the game pulls a switcheroo. We were bamboozled. Because you find out the whole time that the guy like, and this is very big in-game spoiler here. So like, if you don't want to hear this for sure, stop. But like that, the old director uh, trench was in fact, the one who started this all and caused the his invasion because he used an object of power that had caused the supernatural activity or event back in Jess in uh, Jesse's hometown of ordinary. And he reactivated that because the hiss got into his head and took over his basically took over his thing. And he let them into this world and into this plane. And so like that happened, I was like, no shit. Like I was was like, man, I never thought that Casper, I never thought that Dr. Darling was going to be a, um, that's never something that I thought was going to happen. I definitely didn't see Trench coming. Yeah, I didn't that either. That was a really nice endgame surprise. Because he was always like this voice in your head. You know, yes. he, would, he would come up as well, like Darling did. But he would be like this voice uh, voice in your head that you would have like a vision of him. And he would be I like helping much you. More, yeah, much more in the capacity of a mentor. Because yeah. the, the implication is that his spirit or his consciousness, or some fragment of him, was preserved in the service weapon. Mm-hmm. So now that you have the service weapon, he can kind of communicate with you uh, via. He can also communicate with you via the hotline. Yeah, uh, the hotline, which is like an old rotary phone. So even when the directors die, still there. So I definitely didn't. And even so, I should back up. I didn't see Trench's betrayal coming, but it also wasn't really his fault. He's not a villain. He just got corrupted. Right. So he's not like evil per se but the events happening within the federal bureau of control are his fault like mm-hmm. he's the one that let, let the hiss in yeah uh, that being said the true villain uh of control is arguably jesse's younger brother yeah. dylan Faden. so that was a point in the game kind of your you always know that dylan is there through mm-hmm. jesse's internal model and she's actively looking for Later, through conversations with other NPCs, you find out that Dylan was actually brought to the Federal Bureau of Control as part of the Prime Candidate Program, which is the Bureau's attempt to find a new director to replace whoever is currently there, you know, later down the line. So Dylan was kidnapped, like he was just straight up kidnapped um, and brought to the Bureau of Control. And he was raised there basically from young childhood Mm -hmm. to be a prime candidate. Uh, And it's clear that his captivity in the Bureau, you know, definitely warped his personality already. But then when the hiss got in, 
he welcomes this. He was like, all right, yeah, bring it on. Mm-hmm. I already live in hell. Get in here. So Dylan clearly accepted the hiss. He loves the hiss. And he is revealed to be basically the main mouthpiece of the hits. Yeah. Because unlike the other corrupted people, he still has most of his consciousness. He's still very aware of his surroundings. He's not physically degraded like the other his corrupted are. He's very much like present and in the now, but he is insane with the hits. Uh, And his reveal as you're walking through the panopticon to where his containment cell is, cell Mm. P6, when you're going up that elevator and you kind of see him flying around through the background, did you see him through the window outside the elevator? No, I missed that. You must, you must have not had the camera at the right angle. So like, let's pretend that this is the elevator, right? Okay. Uh, And you know, here's the door and Jesse's standing facing the door. If you were facing the door of the elevator, you wouldn't have seen that on this side was actually a window that you can see through over the panopticon Mm. and you can see dylan like his corrupted red dylan just kind of erratically flying around and then it does like a classic jump scare where all of a sudden he's right at the window but jesse doesn't see him oh yeah i missed that totally oh it was wonderfully creepy the next time you play through the game go back to that part and look for it i'll have to do that for sure wonderfully done uh because this was actually one of my favorite parts of the game when you, as Jesse, get to cell P6 and you're hoping that you're finally going to find Dylan, you get into the room and it's clear as you're walking in there, there's a lot of dead people, like very bloody dead people. Mm-hmm. And you're like, oh, this can't be good. And then you finally get into the cell, which is this massive room with a clear like glass or plexiglass or whatever cube right in the middle. That is Dylan's containment cell. And it is blasted open. And on the wall behind him, in blood, he's he's written like Jesse, his sister's name. Mm-hmm. And it's like, oh, it can't be good. Nope, can't be good at all. Can't be good at all. Uh, and I just loved that reveal. I loved getting to that point in the game and getting to this busted out empty cell with your name and blood on the wall. And you're like, <laughs> like I shouldn't be here. I'll go now. I, think dylan might be at me he might be a little upset mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. just a <laughs> little that bit that's definitely one of my favorite you know evil villainous part of the game parts oh, yeah. of the game uh so i think this probably leads us then to one of our to our I shared favorite favorite moment part of, the game. of the game because you know throughout oh, the salt yeah. and going and cleansing these various <laughs> objects of power and different things like that there, you come across this one when you're searching for the slide projector, which is the object that created the that allowed the hiss in and created the the supernatural event back in ordinary. But to get it, it's like super locked away, and you have to go through this maze called the ashtray maze. And you get to it the first time, and then you try to go through it, and you're just like, no, nah, it's not working out. You can't figure it out. And through the events of the mission, you figure out that like Ativ sp- speaks to you, and he's like, come find me. I got something that'll help you out. And you real quick, I do just want to highlight like the aesthetic of the ashtray maze because it has the appearance of like an old school 50s hotel. Kind of like the one from The Shining. Yeah, kind of. Exactly. It's kind of got like the art deco printed wallpaper on the Mm -hmm, walls. mm -hmm. It's all very like wood paneled, low ceilings. And some of the rooms that you are able to access in the beginning are just like these kind of old school lounges. You know, it's like the little green lamps and all of the plush furniture. 
but there's not much there beyond that. So you have to leave and then. Right. And so you go back to it and Adi's like, and there, and there's like another big like thematical thing where it's like Jesse's battling the, the hiss and trying to corrupt her mind of this too. And all this other stuff. So you get through all this and then Adi's like, here, I got something that'll help you out. And this goes to your theory that he's the physical embodiment of the oldest house. Um, or the personification. You don't go to him and find him as a person. When you go to his office, he's not there. Yeah. He's somewhere else. Exactly. And so you go find him. And then when you do, he's like, here, use my Walkman, which he's been listening to this whole time. And you're like, all right, cool. And so honestly, cool. he gives you the Walkman. You go back and it's supposed to help you like navigate this. You go back to the ashtray maze. And I was expecting like a classical music, like a very strong really? or almost more like an operatic thing because he's been like humming and singing op these, op these more like slow operatic tunes or like, or not opera opera necessarily, but just like these Tango is one of his favorites. Yeah. To, and all that stuff. And so he's been doing that. So that's what I was expecting. But when you get to the ashtray maze, you put on the headphones, Mogan, what do you hear? You hear the song that we're going to feature at the end of this episode, yep. Take Control by the band The Old Gods of Asgard. Which, quick side note, uh, I did some research into The Old Gods of Asgard. It is, in fact, a fake band, but they also did the music for Alan Wake. So Old Gods of Asgard have been in Revenue Games before. They Which... are, however, played by the real band Poets of the Fall. Right. Which, that... Little thing, and also this is another kind of spo little spoiler thing, and that tidbit and the second expansion are actually going to tie the worlds of Control and Alan Wake together. So these are in the same universe. So right now, the and actually, so did you go back through the Department of Dead Letters? Because I went through there, and I I was like, there's nothing here. Why is there nothing of note? in this part of the game. Like I couldn't find anything that would justify it being there. Mm -hmm. So I finally looked it up and I was like, what is the department of dead letters? Because I felt like I was missing something. And it was like, Oh, that's where all the Alan wake Easter eggs are. And I was like, Oh, oh. so you actually can find a few of the case files that are like objects and reports from events from Alan Wake. Oh, and I was like, that's cool. Oh, okay. So yeah, uh, these, these two games are absolutely tied together and the current expansion that is out now the foundation i don't think deals that much with it but no, the second one of, i think is supposed to and it's coming out mid 2020 mm -hmm. so really uh should the, be soon i think it's called awe should be yes. out fairly soon uh so but anyway so this song though is not what i was expecting because it is a straight up metal song and it's just straight up excellent metal and it's awesome though because it's not just like a metal song that's supposed to be driving like it refers to events of the game like it it, it, it is contained it's it's it is contained within itself a story or a retelling of the events of the game yeah. and i thought it was just an incredibly awesome touch for them to do it makes the action and the combat in that section even more exciting and over the top and crazy than what it had oh, been before yeah as you're going through the ashtray maze now that you have Ati's magical music which unlocks the maze for you basically that entire sequence of the game was phenomenal mm -hmm. because the ashtray maze like we said just looks like the hallways of this weird hotel but they move and change as you progress through it and initially it just kind of leads you in a circle it doesn't really take you anywhere but now that you've unlocked the maze essentially it just expands out in front of you into these fascinating rooms, kind of like, um, you know, like the Escher stairs yep, or whatever yep, it's called. Yep. 
It's exactly like that, where it's things that don't seem to make sense, but you can navigate them all perfectly. And it's very fast-paced. This part of the game is very fast-paced. You're running and gunning as this amazing metal song plays, and you're you're like, I've finally come into my power as director. I really am was, in charge here. Yep, it was an it was an amazing moment of the game, and definitely the highlight for me. Uh, that oh, just phenomenal. like set it set it up there. It was just like this is great. This is amazing. I love everything about this. Um, any others, or do you want to, the, I was going to touch on the soundtrack stuff as we w- walked into the soundtrack spotlight, obviously we're featuring music control. And like Bogan said, we're going to do, t- we're going to use take control. Uh, but I have a couple things I want to touch on there, but were there any other big story moments that you wanted to touch on? Not any big story moments in particular, but or final I just want to highlight. Yeah. So final thoughts overall, I think the main reason that I like control so much is that it is one of the most intentional, direct, and well-written stories that I have played in the past 10 years. The writing is so good. Mm-hmm. All of the dialogue with NPCs feels very natural. It feels real, and it's interesting. Mm-hmm. All, of the, uh, all of the different case files that you can find, all of them are written very realistically in, in character of the people writing them. And again, they just add layers onto the setting and the story that create a phenomenal final product. Um, I think the writing is truly the the key strength of Control, and I think that its story is engaging, interesting, perfectly executed. I 100% agree. I think the like it it cre- is so so well self contained, and it just tells the story so well. And even it even is done so well that like all this sci fi, paranormal, alternate realities and planes of of existence, all this weird stuff that it handles makes complete sense within the, like, I was never once like, what? I was, I was just like, oh yeah, no, totally. I get what you're saying. I get what you're talking about. I'm I'm 100% with you on this. So I just, it was such a well done package of a game. It was just incredibly well done. And I understand why it started getting, it got all the accolades and, and awards that it did because it is well-deserved. So if, uh, I mean, if any of this, if we haven't sold this game yet, like, Please just go play it. After the first couple missions, you'll be you'll what be in it. Waiting for exactly. You'll be so invested the second you start playing it, just like we were. It's honestly. Uh, I mean, oh. Oh. all I was going to say is that I really this playing control makes me desperately want to somehow go back and be able to play Alan Wake. Uh, I've never been able to play it because it's Microsoft only, and I have yeah. no way to play those games. Uh, but someday, I actually maybe. got it. It was free on the Epic Game Store not too long ago, so I got so I was able to snag it there. And I and I did say nice. <laughs> you just gotta get just, eventually, you gotta. I'm, uh, as we do this more, I'm like, yeah, I should have switched from P- from Mac to PC a long time ago because oh, now man. I have so many more things at my fingertips. Subscribe to our Patreon. <laughs> yeah, let's get Mogan that PC. Uh, but um, but no, it was just a well. It, it, it I had the same feeling after I finished it that I did when I played Hellblade Sin and Sacrifice. I was like, why did I wait so long? Like, yes. I, what was I waiting I know, for? I know it's, it's, it's only, it's June by the time you're listening to this. It came out August of last year. So I still played it like within the year of its first, of its release. But like, why did it take me so long to play it? Because it was such a great game. So highly, highly recommend uh, playing Control it, because it's just a straight up fantastic experience. And it is one that I will remember and look back on fondly and too, like how it sets up the end game. Once the story concludes and wraps up, it feels natural for you to keep playing. Yes. And uh, like, obviously there are expansions and new things coming out soon for more story for you to be able to explore, but like it doesn't, it ends, but then it doesn't end. 
So because it, it ends basically, and you are transported back into the director's office, but this time as Jesse owning her new role as director. Which can she we talk about like, how awesome her outfit is? It is the really bad. Cool it is the director suit. It is the best skin of the game that I've discovered she so far. Has, so I only found a few of the skins. I found the like prime candidate seven I got or that whatever one. her number is. I got the uh, the one where she's like a, an office assistant, mm-hmm. you know, from the part of the game that you just naturally play through. Yeah, and that's really it. I think I, I had one really other one. I can't remember what it was called now. But the of all of them that I've seen, the executive her director suit is the most awesome. Yeah, <laughs> it's, it's so awesome. cool. Okay, well, uh, so yeah, obviously, go play Control. That's like. It's amazing. It's fantastic. It deserves your time. It deserves your pl- your your uh, mental fortitude. I don't know what I was trying to say there, but it, just play it because it's fantastic. It blew my mind. I can't even think of the words to describe how cool it is. But we are going to move into our soundtrack spotlight, and I just had a couple things that I just want to touch on here. Uh, it was composed. The soundtrack for uh, Control was composed by Petri Alanco and Martin Stig Anderson. It's mostly really moody, atmospheric tracks. Like it's very ambient stuff. Like there were a few points where like enemies would appear, and there would be like a sudden kick in the intensity, but overall it was just these very, like I said, mysterious, like moody, mysterious atmospheric tracks that really with like filled with these unsettling tones that really helped build that mystery, build that paranoia kind of. And just like this feeling of like, there's something else there all the time. I really enjoy that. Obviously the take control track stands out and that's what we're going to use as our soundtrack spotlight. But I also wanted to talk about another song on the soundtrack, Sankaran Tango which was written specifically by the games, one of the game's writers, Sam Lake, uh, who has like Finnish ancestry uh, or, or maybe even is from there. I can't remember from the, actually let me uh, linked to it. So I'll read this real quick, but um, he wrote in this where to go that. Uh, okay. So, okay. So Sam Lake, the writer said that he'd been yearning to add his native Finland. Oh, so he's from Finland. Uh, data fill into one of their games and control represented presented that opportunity to incorporate this. This is from the Wikipedia article on control, by the way, uh, among one of those pieces includes the finished tango, uh, that, that I said, uh, Sankar and tango that, so he wrote that, but then the voice actor for Ati, uh, Marty Suolasso sings it in the soundtrack. And it's just like, a, it's a, it's a, just a great little track. And just like in that bit. Also, I didn't discover this in the game. But it also says in this part that it's a ca- there is a voice cameo by Hideo Kojima. Really? Mm-hmm. And his English translator, oh. Aki Saito. It says on, in here, in one side mission, a recording by Dr. Yoshimi Tokui, who's voiced by um, Kojima, relates well, a dreamlike like experience references. in Japanese. Okay. So I, I want to go back and find it. To that character, but I didn't know that there was a recording. That's yeah. cool. So that, I was like, oh, that's a cunt, little, uh, little fun tidbit there. But anyway, so little extra bit on the soundtrack there. But yes, we are going to be featuring as our soundtrack spotlight, Take Control by the Old Gods of Asgard from Control. And you will hear that after the conclusion of the episode, which is pretty much now. But this has been an incredible time talking about an incredible game. I'm so glad that we were both on the same page with this game uh, because I just think, well, I just feel like everybody should be on the same page with this game because it's just an incredible piece of art. It's an incredible game, well-written story, well-crafted world in every sense. Play Control. Play control, looking to the camera directly. Play control. It's a fantastic game. But until next time, everybody, I have one of your hosts, Jarrett Wilson, joined by Rachel Mogan. Hi, Nora. We'll see you all next week for another fun episode. But until then, we leave you with the tunes of Old God of Asgard. Take control. I see a vision rising.